It's good to be back today. Uh, we are going to be in Revelation chapter 4. We are continuing on. Uh, as most of you know, we have, we have taken on a daunting task of, of covering the book of Revelation from start to finish. We've been in there for a few months, and we're just kind of going through a piece at a time. It's a, a difficult book. Up until this point, we haven't really faced a whole lot of difficulties. It's, it's been, I guess, pretty easy to understand, I would say. There are a few points where it's kind of tough, but uh, up until this point of the book, uh, even among uh, the scholars, there isn't a whole lot of debate as to the stuff we've covered. Everybody agrees, for the most part, on some things that we've covered. Uh, but then we get to chapter 4, and then that's where things get kind of difficult. Uh, from chapter 4, really up until about, I guess, chapter 19 or 20, uh, there are a lot of questions that are that are that we have to ask ourselves as we read. Uh, there are a lot of things that, on the surface, seem confusing. Now we know that God uh, never gives us His Word to confuse us. That's not God's goal. But there are just things that we that we don't understand. There are illustrations that are used that are difficult for us to comprehend. Uh, it is difficult for us to understand whether John, when he was writing this message that came from Jesus, or whether it's supposed to be taken literally, uh, whether it's just uh, used as an illustration to help us understand. Uh, there are a lot of questions that come forth. Um, there are many different views of Revelation. There are probably, I guess, five or six main views, and even those views splinter off into some different views. Uh, there are, uh, we won't go over all those views, but there are, are, are different views, and there are good points for all of them. There are good, strong arguments uh, for all of those views that are presented. Uh, that's why it makes it tough for us as Christians to, to really understand what's going on in the book. I mentioned this book to you guys whenever we first started. Uh, uh, it's a book called Revelation, The Four Views, and it does a really good job of taking those four main views that there are and, and some of the, the, the bigger pastors and scholars throughout the years that takes those views and point out the strengths and weaknesses of each views. Now, if any of you care to dig into more depth, I'm reminding you about this book because over the next few months, we're going to get into some really hard stuff. Never let a book like this or any book uh, uh, form your view. God's Word is what should form your view. Uh, but, but, but reading a help like that just to kind of understand some other things about God's Word and some things that maybe you didn't miss may be helpful to you. Um, so if you're interested in getting that, that's a good book. There are plenty of books on the market, but I just wanted to share that to you because uh, it's good to have a help when you're reading the book of Revelation. A couple of weeks ago, uh, before we went to Haiti, uh, I preached on uh, the rapture. Now, that's a word that we don't find anywhere in God's Word. But when we talk about the rapture, what we're talking about is the time when Jesus' uh, Jesus's children will be raised up, when Jesus will appear to us in the sky, and those of us who are, who are Christians who have accepted Jesus Christ, whose sins have been covered, uh, that is the time when we will go up to be with Jesus for all eternity. That's going to be a good day. Uh, there is no question among the Christian community as to whether or not that's going to happen. That's going to happen. Uh, but where it gets difficult and kind of hairy is, when is it going to happen? Are we going to have to go through this great tribulation the Bible talks about? Will we be here but be spared somehow from all the stuff? Will we be taken up before or will we be taken up after? I told you guys, I don't know. I don't know. I believe that we're going to have to face some hard times, but, but I wanted to preach on the rapture because depending on what your view is and how you interpret the text, that will depend everything from this point forward through chapter 19 as to kind of what, uh, what view you may hold as to, as to what exactly is being talked about. 
If you hold the view that we're, we're taking up here at the beginning of chapter 4, then that's going to greatly uh, affect how you view the rest of the book. Now, I'm teaching through Revelation. I told you this at the beginning a little different because we're kind of looking at all these views. And while there's different views and things that we may disagree on some of the details, the main point, the main focus of the book is about Jesus Christ and that he is coming back for his children. We may not understand all the details. There may be some things that we scratch our head about. There may be some things that we disagree about as far as how they're going to take place. But one thing that we will not disagree about is that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He gave his life on a cross so that we could be forgiven. He was put in the grave. Three days later, he rose from the grave. He conquered death. And one day, he is coming back for his children. And when that day comes, it is going to be a glorious day. We're not going to have to worry about turning on the news and seeing attacks like we see in Paris and seeing attacks like we see all over the world. That day is coming and it's going to be a good day. There are things that we read about that are going to be scary, that are difficult in the book of Revelation. But what we need to know as Christians is that there will be ultimate victory for us, that God will be with us. Jesus never tells us in his word that it will be easy, but he does encourage us. We see that time and time again at the beginning of the book of Revelation to stand firm whatever may come our way. So this morning we are uh, back in the book of Revelation in Revelation chapter 4. It's just 11 verses. We're going to read through these 11 verses. Lord willing, we'll make it all the way through today. If you have a Bible, I encourage you to read along with me. Revelation chapter 4 verses 1 through 11. After this, I looked, and there in heaven was an open door. The first voice that I had heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here, and I will show you what, what must take place after this. Immediately I was in the Spirit, and a throne was set there in heaven. One was seated on the throne, and the one seated looked like jasper, or carnelian stone. A rainbow that looked like an emerald surrounded the throne. Around the throne were 24 thrones, and on the thrones sat 24 <laughs> elders dressed in white clothes, with gold crowns on their heads. Flashes of lightning and rumbling of thunder came from the throne. Seven fiery torches were burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. Something like a sea of glass, similar to crystal, was also before the throne. Four living creatures covered with eyes in front and in back were in the middle and around the throne. The first living creature was like a lion. The second living creature was like a calf. The third living creature had a face like a man. And the fourth living creature was like a flying eagle. Each of the four living creatures had six wings. They were covered with eyes around and inside. Day and night, they never stopped saying, Holy, 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 Lord God, the Almighty, who was, who is, and who is coming. Whenever the living creatures give glory, honor, and thanks to the one seated on the throne, the one who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before the one seated on the throne, worship the one who lives forever and ever, cast their crowns before the throne, and say, Our Lord and God, you are worthy to receive glory and honor and power because you have created all things and because of your will they exist and were created. 
Let's pray. God, how true those last words are, dear Lord. You are worthy of glory and honor and praise. And dear Lord, we come here today to give you that. We come here today to, to worship you, God. We come here today to hear from you, to learn from you. God, if we've brought anything else into this place, our worldly thoughts, our worldly desires, things that are competing for our attention, I pray that you would take those things from us now. That you would not allow the enemy to come in here and to get us sidetracked and to get our brains thinking about other things, God. I pray that you would open our heart, open our ears, that we would hear your word, God, that we would do your word. That we would recognize the, just the wonderful awesomeness that is heaven that awaits those of us who are your children, God. That we not lose focus of the, of the glorious life to come in the midst of, of all the turmoil and sin that we see here. God, I pray that you help us to understand your word. God, I pray that you'd preach through me, not so that I would look good or sound good, God, but so that you would receive the glory, so that if there's a lost soul here today, that they would seek you, dear Lord God, that they would turn their life over to you. God, I know that some of your word is confused, and even some of the stuff we talk about today may not make sense, but God, or I fail to answer the questions, I pray that the Holy Spirit would do the work, dear Lord. I pray that you'd speak through me. I pray that you'd speak to me and to these people. And I pray that you would just give me the power, that you'd hide me behind the cross, and that you would receive the glory today. In Jesus' name I pray it. Amen. Amen. Uh, previously in the book of Revelations, we had just finished uh, these seven letters to seven literal, physical, real churches of the day of John. Now, there is some debate as to when those letters were written. Some would say those letters were written around 60 A.D. Uh, some would say they weren't written to closer to around 100 A.D. Uh, we're not sure when those, when those letters were written. Uh, but Jesus had came to John, and he had told him some things that these churches of the day needed to look out for. There were things that apply to us as a church. There were things that sometimes we're doing good. We're doing the good things that these churches of Revelation were doing. There were, there were things that sometimes uh, we do. We're, that we're doing bad that we're doing that uh, these churches in the book of Revelation were doing. Uh, the purpose being is not that Jesus was saying, you're doing bad, so I'm done with you. Jesus was saying, no, you're doing bad. I want you to repent. I want you to do right. That is always God's focus. His desire is for those who are lost, for those who do not know Him, to come to Him. God doesn't desire that any would perish and burn in hell. That's not God's desire. God's desire is that all would repent and come to Him and accept Jesus Christ. And that is the purpose of the book. Jesus is saying, get ready. There might have been some things in those churches, there might be some things in our church, in our life, that we need to get ready. Things that aren't right. And Jesus is saying, reflect on your life. If you have ears, listen, is what the book of Revelation say. Not just the ears of our head, but the ears of our heart, that we know that Jesus is trying to get us on the right track so that we do the right thing. And so Jesus had uh, given this vision to John. These seven letters were to go out to these churches. And then that's what uh, the end of chapter 3 is, with these, uh, the last of these letters, so the church of Laodicea being the final one, uh, these letters had all uh, gone out to these churches. And now we kind of see a change of pace. We kind of see a shift of direction. We see something different happen here. In verse 1, after this I looked, and there in heaven was an open door. The first voice that I had heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. 
immediately I was in the Spirit. So this is a, a supernatural experience here. Uh, John, who was on this island of Patmos, who had been cast away there because he was a Christian and he was preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, he is now in this, in this spiritual, supernatural uh, realm, I guess would be a good way to describe it, and he is in heaven. In his spirit, he is in heaven. He is taken up to heaven, and he is in this throne room, and this voice like a trumpet is speaking to him, saying, come up here and see what must take place. Now, this is a key verse because uh, many would say that this verse is, is implying uh, that there will be some kind of rapture, that this is an illustration of the rapture that, that, that all Christians will face. Uh, that this voice that sounds like a trumpet is representative of the last trumpet that the Bible says will sound uh, when those who are in Christ are taken up. I don't know if that's what this verse is saying or not. It does say that the voice was like a trumpet. Well, we've also talked about earlier in the, in the book of Revelation that there are many illustrations used. And that the trumpet here is not a uh, physical trumpet sounding, it doesn't seem, uh, but that it is, it is, it is uh, maybe illustrating the clarity of the voice uh, that is speaking. Now, it could be that this is a, uh, an illustration that, that John is being taken up here and that this is uh, when the rapture will occur. There are some, some good arguments to support that. Uh, one of which, up until this point, the church is mentioned uh, a ton. We see the word church, church, church. After this, we don't see that in the book of Revelation until the end of the book of Revelation. But we do see God's children mentioned. We do see the saints mentioned. But we don't see the word church mentioned. That's one argument to, uh, to say that this is the time that the Christians uh, will be taken up. Maybe that's what this verse means. I don't think so. We, we, we may have different views there, but I do not believe that this is the time that the church uh, will be taken up. But this is just a, a time that John is taken up. This is a time that John is about to be shown uh, what heaven is like and about to be shown a lot of things that are going to take place for their own uh, in the book of Revelation. Immediately I was in the Spirit, and a throne was set there in heaven. One was seated on a throne, and on the throne, and the one seated looked like jasper and carnelian stone, a rainbow that looked like an emerald surrounded the throne. Now, can you imagine this for a second? Now, here you are, John. You've been on this 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 nasty old earth. You're 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 on Patmos. You're being executed, and now you are taken up in the spirit, and you are in the presence of God. You are you are. In the throne of heaven. Now that's pretty phenomenal. I don't know that, that I could even comprehend that. And for those of us who are in Christ, we will one day get to experience that. How awesome is that? And, and John is describing uh, this experience of the one seated on the throne uh, looked like Jasper in Carnelian stone. Uh, uh, beautiful stones. He said uh, a rainbow that looked like an emerald was around the throne. Uh, just this beautiful jewels and a beautiful idea of a rainbow. We remember the rainbow being the sign, uh, the covenant that God made with Noah in the time of the flood, that he would never flood the earth again. And it's the very rainbow that here uh, is being used to illustration. This is what John saw. He's trying to use something that, that we can understand what it looks like. It's almost indescribable, but he's describing it the best way he can. And there in the throne room of heaven is a rainbow. 
Oh, what an interesting, uh, what an interesting thing to use. When we look in our world today, we see the symbol of a rainbow. That's the, that's the main symbol of the homosexual movement. It is as if uh, the devil is, is shaking his fist saying, look at what I'm doing, God. I'm taking the one thing that's a beautiful symbol of what's going on in heaven right at your throne, and that's what I'm using as the symbol for one of the most disgusting sins that's ever been on the earth. How interesting how the devil takes everything that God intends for good and he does just the opposite for it. He makes a mockery of everything that God does. The devil is not original. The devil steals everything God does. He takes everything that God does that's good, he steals it, and he twists it into something totally evil. A rainbow's a good illustration of that, I believe. We see that with the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost, which is the Trinity, which is God, which is Jesus, and the Holy Spirit that comes to us once Jesus was gone. The devil steals that format. He's got the beast. He's got the Antichrist. He's got the false prophet. He takes everything that God does because what God does is perfect. He couldn't come up with a better way to do it. But he takes that and he twists it and he makes it evil. And we see how wonderful the throne room of God here is. And we see that it's a beautiful place. And God desires for us to be there. He desires for every one of us to be there. He desires for us to follow His way, the perfect way. But do not be deceived. The devil is coming up with another way that he's trying to make look perfect because the devil doesn't want you to be there. He doesn't want you to see God. He doesn't want you to see God's glory. He wants you to be in hell with Him. And if you can't be in hell with Him, He don't care what happens. He don't care what happens to any single one of you. He wants you to be destroyed so He can tell God, Look, I took another one from you. I believe that's the devil's goal. The devil has been defeated. He knows he's been defeated. He's got an attitude problem. He's angry and he's bitter. And his job is to destroy everything good that God wants to do. And God desires to share with you everything good, everything perfect, everything holy, everything wonderful that has ever been. God wants to share that with you. He wants you to be at this beautiful place. He wants you to be around His throne. And the devil will do everything he can to keep you from being there. He's making a mockery of God. And He's deceiving many people. Don't be deceived in this room today. See what John saw. That's what God desires for your life. A rainbow that looked like an emerald surrounded the throne. Around that throne were 24 thrones, and on the throne sat 24 elders dressed in white clothes with gold crowns on their heads. Now this, 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 this uh, wording, this language of, of white robes and gold crowns, this is talking about Christians. These, are, uh, these people that he's talking about here have accepted the Lord. These are the same words that Jesus said to the seven churches. That those who, who accept him and live by him and stand firm to the end, they will be given a white robe. That signifies that they are completely clean, that they are completely pure. Remember, Jesus talked about the sinners in Sardis, that they had soiled their clothes, that they had stained their robes. That symbolized the sin. Each of us, we've, we've, we've stained our spiritual clothes. We've sinned. We're all sinners. Not anybody in here can escape that. Nobody. We're all sinners. We've all sold our, our spiritual clothes. But Jesus says, I want to give you clean clothes. Jesus says, I want to give you white clothes. Jesus says, I want to make you pure. 
And that is what the victor gets because Jesus has won the victory and Jesus desires to share the victory. And one of those things Jesus says we will get are new pure white clothes. Another thing he says we'll get are gold crowns. He tells the people uh, in, in the seven churches, he says, the one who stands firm to the end to you, all, you will be given a crown. That signifies that we are sharing in the victory with the Lord. These people who are sitting on these thrones are no doubt Christians. These are people who have accepted the Lord. Now again, there is much debate as to who these 24 elders on these 24 thrones are. Everyone would agree that they are Christians, that they are victorious because of their, because of their wardrobe and because of their crowns. But who are these 24? Does it really literally mean 24? We see numbers all throughout the Bible that, that doesn't literally mean that number, that those numbers just symbolize something. Uh, the number seven is perfection. When we see the number seven, it symbolizes perfection. When we see the number 12 or the number 24, oftentimes in God's Word, it symbolizes completeness. It means that it is complete. That there is a complete group, a complete group of representatives of people here. Now, I believe it's literally 24. And I believe it symbolizes completeness. But who are these 24? Well... Some would say that it's the first 24 descendants of Jesus' bloodline from Adam all the way down. Well, I don't know that there's any real strong biblical argument for that, but that's one of the views. Another view is that the, these 24 represent the church, that this 24 represents the completeness of Christians as a whole. If you hold the view that we are raptured here at the beginning of chapter 4, uh, then these are one of the strongest verses to point to that, that these 24 elders are representative of all Christians of the church. That is, that we are all in heaven, and that what John is seeing here is seeing all the Christians who have been raptured around the throne. And that it's not a literally 24 people, but a representative of Christians as a whole. That's a good theory, perhaps. That's, that's what this represents. Uh, there's another theory that, that, that 12 of these on these thrones represent the tribes of Israel. The 12 tribes of Israel we see from the Old Testament. And that the other 12 um, represent... I have drawn a blank. The apostles. The apostles. There you go. Boy, I tell you what. I'm, that's weird how that happens. That the other 12, thank you for that, uh, represent the 12 apostles who were with Jesus Christ. Now Judas, he deceived Jesus, and, and he ended up killing himself. Uh, the disciples uh, cast lots to figure out who was going to be the 12th disciple. I don't know if Matthias was that 12th disciple, or I don't know if maybe it was, if it ended up being Paul, because Jesus came to him before. Anyway, that's a whole other thing. I'm going down a rabbit trail. Anyway, the, the 12 of these represent uh, 12 apostles, and the 12 represent the 12 tribes of Israel. I don't know. I can't tell you for sure what these things represent. This is one of those questions that I just don't know. I'll tell you my view. You may have a different view. I hold the last view. I believe that the last is true. I don't believe at this point that the church has been raptured, and maybe we have. Maybe we will be by this point. I believe that these 24 elders around the throne are the 12 disciples and the 12 tribes of Israel that are being represented. doesn't matter who's there. Whether it's us or them, we're all going to be there who are in Christ one day. But what does matter is what's going on here. What's going on with these 24 people? Well, let's read what's going on with them. Around the throne were 24 thrones, and on the throne sat 24 elders dressed in white clothes with gold crowns on their heads. 
Flashes of lightning and rumbling of thunder came from the throne. Seven fiery torches were burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. Now, here these these twenty four elders there around the throne. This is going to be a, a, a this is going to be all eternity for us Christians. Now, at first thought in our in our feeble human minds, there may be a tendency to question, "Boy, am I ever going to get bored in heaven?" And some of you are saying, "Whoo, I'm glad somebody else has thought that thought before." I mean, we we think that we think about you know it's going to be good to see Jesus, but eternity is a long time. Are we ever going to get bored? I used to think that as a young Christian. But, but the more I mature as a Christian, the more I think, no, I don't, I don't think we are. I don't think we are going to get bored. I, when we see the glory of God, it's going to be inexplainable. And I can't explain it because it's not explainable. It's going to be the best thing that you have ever seen in your life. It's going to be the best feeling. You're not going to want to leave it because it's going to be a perfect and wonderful thing. And when we get in the presence of our Lord, I don't think we'll ever want to leave. I don't think we'll ever want to leave. And here these, these, these 24 elders are around this throne, and the throne is, is flashes of lightning and rumblings of thunder. Now maybe that symbolizes the judgment that's about to be poured out on the earth. Maybe that's a symbol of God's power because God is all-powerful. But, but if you've ever heard in the middle of a big thunderstorm, the thunder that just shakes the house, I'm, I'm sure everybody's probably experienced that. Boy, when I feel it, I think, boy, that is a mighty God we serve that, that can make a sound so powerful that the whole house would shake. And that's the sound that's coming from, uh, from this throne along with flashes of lightning. And also there are seven fiery torches that were burning before the throne which are the seven spirits of God. Again, seven in the book of Revelation and throughout the Bible represents perfection. And maybe that's just saying that God's Holy Spirit, it's, it's perfect. Uh, maybe there's seven attributes of the Holy Spirit. I kind of tend to lean toward that there are seven kind of attributes that the Holy Spirit possesses. I get that from Isaiah chapter 11. If you want to flip there, you can. If not, just listen. It's just one little short verse I'm going to read to you. Isaiah chapter 11, verse 2. I believe that this could be the seven spirits. The Spirit of the Lord will rest on him, Spirit of the Lord being one, a spirit of wisdom, two, of understanding, three, a spirit of counsel, four, and strength, five, a spirit of knowledge, six, and a fear of the Lord, seven. Perhaps that's the seven spirits that are talked about. Uh, the Holy Spirit kind of possesses all those things. It kind of gives us all those things. It gives us a fear of the Lord. It gives us wisdom. It gives us strength. Uh, perhaps this is what's being talked about when we talk about sevenfold spirits here in the book of Revelation. Uh, these are all the things that are around the throne. Something like a sea of glass similar to crystal was also before the throne. Again, we, we think about the beauty. Maybe that symbolizes something else. But to me, the first thing I think about when I think a crystal sea is something as smooth as can be and something just beautiful. If anybody's ever looked at crystal before, it's just beautiful. It's kind of like a prism. You can kind of see all the different colors in there. I think of something that's just smooth all around the, uh, the throne of God and what a beautiful sight that must look like. We sang a song about the crystal sea sometime. And so we're starting to get some imagery here on what John tells us as to about what the throne looks like. So there is God, the one seated on the throne. 
And there are elders who are sitting around who are worshiping the Lord. Uh, there is the Spirit of God there. Uh, it, the, 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 the view of God is beautiful. These beautiful stones all around God is this beautiful crystal sea that is sitting there. Let's read on a little further. Four living creatures covered with eyes in front and in back were in the middle and around the throne. The first living creature was like a lion. The second living creature was like a calf. The third living creature had a face like a man, and the fourth living creature was like a flying eagle. Now, what does that mean? I don't know. I don't know. Uh, we've seen these four living creatures uh, before in, in the Bible. We've seen very similar instances in the Old Testament in Ezekiel. When we see in the book of Isaiah describing some of the things in heaven, we see very uh, similar language. These creatures were by all means all seen. Uh, some would say that these creatures are representative of God uh, and the attributes of God, that he is all seen that he is uh, like a lion, that he is uh, the king of everything, uh, that he is also like a calf, that he, is, that he is humble, that he is gentle, that he is also like man. We have Jesus. He sent Jesus to us. Jesus is God. Uh, and that uh, like a flying eagle, like a majestic flying eagle, that, that these creatures are not literal, literally four creatures, but they just are a representation of who God is. Well, I believe there are four literal creatures. I don't hold the view that they're not real. I do believe that there are four literal creatures there. Uh, some would say that they are representative of Jesus Christ. After all, he is king of kings, right? Like the lions, the king of the jungle. After all, he is gentle like a calf. Some translations may say an ox. Think about what he did. Think about how humble of a servant he was. Now think about an ox or a calf, how they're a humble servant, especially an ox out working. He doesn't complain. Think about our Lord Jesus. He didn't complain uh, that he was also man. Jesus was fully man. That's why one of these uh, 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 creatures had a face like a man. And that Jesus is majestic, that, uh, like a flying eagle, that he is soaring, that he is close to heaven, that he is close to the Lord. I don't know. I don't know which, which one of those views are true, but I think that, uh, that all those things are true about Jesus that all those things are true about the Lord. Some, some uh, attribute these things as to Jesus' life. The four gospel accounts. Some would say that one presents Jesus as king, and one presents him as a servant, and one presents him as the Son of God, and that each of these different labels here can be applied to uh, one of the books of the four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Perhaps that's the case. Again, like the 24 elders. There's much debate. We're not going to solve it today. It's been debated for 2,000 years. I don't know what they are, but I know they represent Jesus, and I know they're there, and let's see uh, what they do. Let's see what they do. Each of the four living creatures had six wings. They were covered with eyes around and inside. Day and night, they never stopped saying, Holy, 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 the Lord God, or excuse me, Lord God the Almighty, who was, who is, and who is coming. Well, that's good right there. I like that verse. Whoever these four living creatures were, they knew who the Lord was. They knew that the Lord was all-powerful. They knew that the Lord was worthy of praise. And that's what they did all day and all night. Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who is and was and who will be. 
Now that's pretty good. They were worshiping at the throne. Let's read a little further. Whenever the living creatures give glory, honor, and thanks to the one seated on the throne, the one who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before the one seated on the throne. Worship the one who lives forever and ever. Cast their crowns before the throne and say, 24 elders do the same thing. We're starting to get a picture here. We may not be sure of what the creatures represent. We may not be sure what the 24 elders represent. But we can be sure of one thing. They are giving God the glory. And they know that God is and was and is forever and always will be and has always been. They know that God has created all things. They know that God is in complete control. And they know that God is worthy of praise. And that is what the scene is in heaven. This is a preview of what heaven's going to be like for us. I don't believe it's going to be any different. I believe it's going to be just exactly like what we see in Revelation 4. I may be wrong. But I believe it's going to be exactly like this. There's going to be a God seated on the throne, and there's going to be Jesus there beside him, and there's going to be a heart of worship for all of us who have accepted Christ because that's all that's going to be there of those who have put their trust in Christ. And we're going to be there and we're going to be giving glory to God. And we're going to be saying the same things that these four creatures were saying. We're going to be saying the same things that these 24 elders are saying. Our Lord and God, you are worthy to receive glory and honor and power because you have created all things and because of your will they exist and were created. God is in control. It is because of God's will, it is because of God's desire that everything has been put into motion. It is because of God's desire and will that this whole universe has been created. Not the Big Bang. God said, let it be, and it was. We live in a world that wants to take God out, that doesn't want to give God any praise, that doesn't want to give God any glory, that doesn't want to say that God's the one in control, that doesn't want to say that God has all the power, that doesn't want to say that God has, is and has always been. We live in a world that wants to put God out of everything, away from everything, and doesn't want anybody to hear about God in the name of Jesus Christ. But that is the only name that the world needs to hear, is that of Jesus Christ. Because while God made this earth and he desired for it to be perfect when he made Adam and Eve, and he made a perfect Eden, sin entered into the mix. And we're seeing that in this very day. We see this day after day after day. The world is getting to be a, a worse place every day. I heard somebody say this week on a, on a, on a uh, news show I listened to. They were saying, yeah, this world, you know, it's, it's, it's getting to be a better place. It's getting better and better. But there are just some bumps along the way like what we saw in Paris. I'm thinking, have you watched anything over the last few years? I don't believe for a second the world's getting to be a better place. Why do I not believe the world's becoming a better place? Because we've taken God out of everything there is. And when we take God out of the mix, God's the only one who can protect us. God is the one who blesses us. God is the one who takes care of us. And when we take God out of the mix, there's no hope left. We see that in our country today. I believe we're experiencing the, the effects of that. We've taken God out of everything and we're paying the consequences for it. God is at the center of everything. And we need to recognize that. As individuals, as a church, as a nation. 
Is that God is the one seated on the throne? Is that God is the one who is in control? Is that God is the one who is in power? God is the one who created all things. And God, when he saw that sin entered in and that humanity was destined to spend an eternity in hell, it was God who intervened and sent his only son, Jesus Christ, to die for us. Amen. It is God who is in control. It is God who has picked up our mess. It is God who saw that we were not faithful and said, I am going to be faithful even though you are not. And it is God who is worthy of praise. And I don't know who these people are. I can't explain to you all the details and what it all means. But I know that God is seated on the throne. And that everything in heaven is centered around the throne. And that everyone in heaven has given God praise because they realize that He is the only one worthy of praise. You don't think the throne is a centerpiece in heaven? Then read chapter 4 again. In my translation, it says the word throne ten times. And that's not even counting the thrones of the 24 elders. It's ten times that it talks about the throne of God. They were gathered around the throne. He was seated on the throne. The throne was like this. They worshipped at the throne, at the throne, at the throne, at the throne. And God desires for you to be there at that throne because it's perfect. Because there's glory that you can't even imagine. You can't even begin to imagine. But there's only one way that you can get there. And you're saying, oh, what's that way? Some of you may be asking that question. Well, let me tell you what's not the way. You can't get there by being good enough. Maybe some of you are trying that. You can't do it. You can't be good enough. You can be as good as you want. You're not going to be good enough to please God. Why? Because God requires perfection. God is a perfect God. God does not tolerate sin. God does not, oh, uh, God does not want us to be in sin. Well, we've all sinned. You say, I haven't sinned. Well, you're a liar. The Bible says you have. You can't get to heaven by being good enough because you can't be good enough. You can't get to heaven by coming to church every day. You can come to church. You can come in this building every day if you want to. If you want to, praise the Lord. Come on. If you feel led to do that, come every day. It ain't going to save you, though. You can come pray, you can stand up pray, you can shake your hands, you can kneel down, you can be quiet, you can be rambunctious, you can do whatever you want to do to worship the Lord. If it ain't coming from the heart, it ain't going to do you no good. can't get saved by coming to church. You can't buy your way into heaven. You can't find plenty of poor people and give them lots of money. You can't put more money in the plate and God's going to see that and say, well, he's been pretty bad, but he did give a lot and that helped keep the light bill on for a few months when we were having a hard time, so I'm going to let him in. Nope. That's not the way it worked. Boy, if it was the way it worked, wouldn't it be great? Churches would be doing good. We'd have plenty of money every week. We could feed all the people in the world. But sadly, that's not the way it works. You can't get there by any of those things. You can't get there by being good. You can't get there by coming to church. And you can't get there by paying your way in. Because the way to get into heaven has already been paid. And it was by the blood of Jesus Christ. That's the only way you can get there. That Jesus Christ came down from a perfect heaven. He came to us sinful people on this earth. He saw that we were in a mess. And he knew that the price needed to be paid. He knew that a sacrifice had to be made. A perfect sacrifice. He knew that we were incapable of living perfect lives. He knew that we were incapable of buying our way into heaven. He knew that we were incapable of being good enough to get into heaven. But he was capable because he was perfect. 
Now you want to talk about love, that's love. He left God's glory to come to this mess. Are you kidding me? That's love. And that's how we stand before the throne. That's how we stand before the Lord. It's to acknowledge that we're not good enough. To acknowledge that we're sinners. To acknowledge that we can't make it, that we need help, that we need hope, that we see what's going on in the world and we want something better. And to acknowledge that we can't do it on our own. Have you done that today? Have you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? It ain't hard. The Bible says all we have to do is to admit that we are sinners. The Bible says that we need to believe that Jesus is who He says He is. That He is God's Son. That we need to believe that He came to this earth. That we need to believe that He gave His life on the cross. That we need to believe that He was killed and that He was resurrected three days later. And that He's coming back for us. And the Bible tells us we need to admit that and we need to believe and we need to confess that Jesus Christ is our Lord and Savior. We need to tell the world what Jesus did for us. We need to ask Jesus to forgive us of our sins and the Bible says when we do that that God is faithful to do it. Now the devil will say, you, you not, oh, he won't do it for you. The devil will tell you, he'll, he'll tug on you if the Holy Spirit's tugging on your heart. And the devil will say, but you've been too bad. That preacher, he's saying that, but he don't know what you did. I don't care what you did. I don't want to know what you did. God knows what you did. God knew what you did before Jesus ever come. Jesus knew what you did before he ever come. And guess what? He still came and died knowing that you were going to be a sinner. Now you tell me that's not love. And I want you to accept that love. If you haven't accepted it, we're going to have an invitation here in just a minute, and I want you to do that. I want you to admit you're a sinner, believe Jesus is God's Son, ask Him to forgive you and be your Lord and Savior, and confess Him to the world. And oh, what a glorious day for those of us who do that and will do that. What a glorious day it's going to be. Because everything that we see in this book, in Revelation, in chapter 4, we won't have to have an illustration. We'll see it. We'll see God's glory firsthand, and what a day that'll be. What a day that'll be. Let's pray. God, I come to you this morning, and I thank you for these words. God, I pray that you help us when we, when we read this book that seems confusing, God, that you would help us not to lose focus of the point. God, we may not understand the details, but the point is that you're in control, that Jesus is your son, and that you are worthy of praise. And that one day we're going to get to see you. God, I pray for any in this room who haven't accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. That the Holy Spirit would let them know now that, that they're missing something. God, the devil wants to tell us that the world can give us all we need. If we just get a little more stuff, we'll be okay. But God, our world doesn't need more stuff. It needs more of you. It needs more Jesus. And so, God, I pray that as we have this moment of invitation to invite any down that haven't accepted you, that you would tug on their heart, that they would come today and make that decision to accept you as Lord and Savior. And I ask these things in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.